So, Shale, are you ready to give some career advice? I don't know, man. I always feel <laughs> sort of ill-equipped to dole out career wisdom. Wait, why? You're never short of opinions or observations. That's true, I guess. But, you know, I always feel like my the only advice that I can give is sort of born of my my own personal, unique, and somewhat odd experience of a career. And so I, I never feel totally like I've... I have anything to impart that is universal. I think you're selling yourself short. But because you're hung up on this, I think I can help. I talked to a listener who can give us a place to start this conversation. This is Nicole. Hi, Nicole. Stephen Lacey. Hi, how are you? I caught her during her workday at a venture-backed e-commerce startup. She didn't want us to use any details that could link her to the employer, so we'll just keep it at that. Okay, got it. Yes, I'm taking some time out of my office day to chat with you. This is a much-needed break. (laughs) Nicole is happy at her tech job, but at the end of the day, she works hard for a company that sells stuff to people with extra money to spend, stuff they don't necessarily need. Meanwhile, she's got this side passion for energy. She reads the news and listens to podcasts like this one, and she's realizing that there's got to be something more impactful out there for her. Yeah, it's mostly stemming from horrible anxiety about what could happen to the climate in the future. And I'm not sure how to channel that other than to like fantasize about, you know, going to work for somewhere where that actually could make a difference. I got to say, she could certainly channel that uh, passion and fear into working more closely in this industry, but I'm not sure that's going to solve the anxiety problem. I know plenty <laughs> of people who spend all their time working on decarbonization and are among the more anxious people that I know. Yeah, a word of warning, Nicole, the anxiety doesn't get any better necessarily. <laughs> but actually, this does give me a little bit of anxiety because now I feel like she's going to ask that question that I feel like I'm never equipped to answer, which is how does she find that job that she fantasizes about? Well, I asked her that and she made a request that I think we can fulfill or at least partially fulfill. Yeah, I think one thing that I would want to know, and this might be a question to direct to the people in venture capital that are funding the new companies is what directions do they see clean technology or clean energy going in? Is it going to be a mix of technologies? Is it going to be like helping consumers find a technology? Um, there's a lot of different directions that that could go in. And I, I don't want to like pick a particular technology like, you know, solar or wind or carbon capture and then like choose the wrong thing if it turns out that that is not going to be the future or that's not going to be adopted. So I I would just love to see more of a a stake in the ground as to what people are going to rally behind to know what to look for. Anything else you'd want us to talk about? I would love to hear about other people that have made the transition or other people that are thinking about making a transition from you know, any of the other technology sectors and into clean energy, I think it would be interesting to talk about like what parts are similar or dissimilar or concerns that other folks might feel or questions that they might have and see where there is some overlap. Yeah, I would be really interested to know what other people are thinking about trying to break into the industry. Well, good news for Nicole and people like her out there. I'm a reporter. So I collected some of those stories. And I've spent the better part of the last decade and a half thinking about 
who the winners and losers are going to be and what technologies are going to win out in this energy transition. So I do have some thoughts about that. See, I knew we'd get you to a place where you could feel comfortable. So coming up, we cobble together our collective wisdom and offer up some clean tech career advice. First, a word about our sponsor, Wonder Capital. Last week, we produced and released a podcast in collaboration with Wonder about how to create an intentional career. So it partners nicely with this episode. We talked with Wonder CTO Dave Reese about the framework he used to completely change his career path into solar, eventually co-founding a successful company. Listen to that episode in the Interchange feed and check out Wonder's financing options for commercial and community solar projects at wondercapital.com gtm. And if you are in the market for a new career, make sure to subscribe to Green Tech Media's newsletters. We are covering all the most important companies and concepts over at GTM, and any good job search begins with good information. Go over to greentechmedia.com newsletters to sign up and start tracking the companies and trends that are going to get you a job of your dreams. This is The Interchange, conversations on the future of energy from Green Tech Media. I'm Stephen Lacey. Welcome. This week, stories of careers in transition. There are now more than 3 million people in America working in clean energy, according to the Advanced Energy Economy, spanning across transportation, renewable energy, energy efficiency, environmental services, and many other related areas. By comparison, there are somewhere around 750,000 people working at Silicon Valley tech companies, a sector that gets way more attention in the press. So it's a big number, but it also means that there are tens of millions of others with the right skills or the desire to join the workforce, and people like Nicole are asking, how do I do it? We've gotten so many different variations of that question from listeners, uh, some starting careers, some later in careers, some in consumer tech looking to find a more meaningful job addressing climate change. Shail Khan is going to help me address some of them. He's my co-host. He's also the Senior VP of Research and Strategy at Energy Impact Partners. Shail, how are you? Hey, Stephen. I am good. I'm as as ready as I'm ever going to be to give out career advice. <laughs> Well, later in the show, we're going to get some advice from someone more qualified than us to be giving it. Liz Dalton, the executive director of the Clean Energy Leadership Institute. I'm going to have an interview with her. First, let's address Nicole's question. She wanted to know where to start, where she should place her career bets, so to speak. Venture capitalists were specifically called out. So I guess that puts the responsibility on you, Shale. Hmm. Well, I guess the one thing that I would say in response to how Nicole framed the question is she sort of framed it as which technologies should I pick? And certainly that's one way to go about it. There will be people who develop a passion for advanced nuclear reactors and, you know, go after that for their entire career. And that's fine. If you, if you're not one of those people, you know, I think that the way to think about it is not which technology should I pick as I, go on my career in clean tech, but rather, what are the macro trends that I want to attach myself to? Do I believe, you know, fundamentally in long-term decarbonization of the bulk power grid? And do I want to dedicate my time to that? Do I believe fundamentally in urbanization? Do I believe fundamentally in decentralization? You know, pick your sort of your big macro trends, and then don't worry so much about getting it right within that. 
because it's hard to do, right? None of us knows with any degree of certainty what technologies are, are really going to win out. Um, and also it's a, it's a function of, you know, you're not going to have opportunities to do anything that you want. So it's easier to sort of find your passion in the broader macro trends and then take what opportunities are presented to you within that. So let's assume that you have a vision for the world. How do you put that thesis into action? What are some concrete steps that you have taken in your career that you would take now if you were trying to execute on that thesis? A few things for me that I think have been valuable um, in my career. The first is just when I am interested in something new, if I'm interested in pursuing it from a career perspective or just learning more about it, I just try to immerse myself in the gestalt of that area. I figure out what sources of information I should plug myself into. I start reading about it. I follow people on Twitter who tweet about it. And then I go to those links. I set up RSS feeds. I follow, I listen to podcasts on the topic. I start, you know, trying to find out what the networks I should plug into are in person or online. I just try to kind of immerse myself in it until I start to feel like I have, I'm, I'm, you know, have my finger on the pulse of that sector. And it takes some time to do that. But the longer that I immerse myself, the more plugged in I feel like I am. And that serves a number of purposes. One is when you then go have conversations with people who are within that sector, you can speak their language. Um, you could talk about the same things. You have more interesting conversations with them, and that lends itself to more opportunities for you. And the second is, you know, the more that you understand what's happening, the better able you're going to be to discern between an opportunity that you really want to pursue and one that you don't. So I'm a, very much in favor of find something you're interested in and then just soak in it for a while. Most definitely. But it's about more than just soaking it up because you have to find a way to categorize that information and make it actionable, particularly if you're just getting started. So I found that my method for understanding the taxonomy of a space for journalistic reasons has actually been helpful in previous job searches and career switches. So number one, just find all the organizations that fit your worldview when you've established that thesis about something you believe is going to happen or is happening. In energy, there's a trade association for everything. Advanced Energy Economy is one, the Smart Electric Power Alliance, Solar Energy Industries Association, American Wind Energy Association, the Advanced Energy Management Alliance. The list goes on and on. Those cover the basis for a lot of the major uh, industries that are seeing change. And every region of the country has an even more localized version of these organizations. So find a list of all their member companies and events calendars, start looking them up, and then create a list based on your own decision framework. And you can start to cross-reference those with the newsletters and podcasts and other news that you're consuming. And finally, you just have to pick an event and go. I don't mean to insult anyone's intelligence, but like all you have to do is Google around. Here, I'll, I'll Google some right now to see what we come up with. So top solar conference. Boom. You've got Green Tech Media's Solar Summit in Scottsdale, Arizona. Yes, we know SEO well. There's also Solar Power International, InterSolar. You've got tons to choose from. If that's not something you're looking for, maybe you want something a little cheaper or something local. Um, here, I'm in Boston, so I'll just Google clean tech happy hour. And here, I get events for 
Young Professionals in Energy, a happy hour, and then a full events page. Women in Clean Tech and Sustainability, the Massachusetts Clean Energy Center events page. You literally have no excuse if you don't figure out how to use this method. So I feel like everything that we're saying so far, valuable though it is, could apply into basically any sector, right? It's like pretty, pretty broad, somewhat generic career wisdom. Build a network, develop some expertise, you know, find a growth opportunity, et cetera. Is there anything that you think is unique to this sector that, that makes it particularly easy or particularly hard to find firm footing? Yes. Networking. I know, I know we've been encroaching on some pretty cliche territory, but there's something pretty unique about this space. People are disproportionately mission-oriented and love to network. And that's where we're headed next. Coming up, we'll hear about how years of networking allowed a high-level Google engineer to quit her job after a decade and a half and start a company. It also gave a biomolecular engineer an amazing job breaking apart batteries. First, though, I want to alert you to another helpful podcast on this subject of careers. We recently produced it alongside our sponsor, Wonder Capital. It features Dave Reese, the chief technology officer of Wonder, who before co-founding the company was hit with an existential challenge as a software developer. I sort of had this quarter-life crisis moment where I was asking myself, what am I doing with my life? I'm working really hard solving these problems and... Fundamentally, I'm helping big brands spend money more effectively on Facebook, um, and nobody cares about that, including me. In the episode, we detail how Dave made specific choices to change the direction of his life. We also cover the value of the beginner's mind, 10x problem solving, the solar-first approach to financing, and ultimately how to design a career, a product, and a startup team with intention. Listen to that episode on the Interchange feed. It is last week's episode. And to find out more about how Wonder Capital is changing the game for commercial solar and community solar, go to wondercapital.com slash GTM. Now, Shale, both of us recently went through some pretty big changes. You left as head of GTM Research a little while back to explore new opportunities, and you eventually landed in venture capital. And I recently left my post as editor-in-chief of the news side of Green Tech Media to launch a small podcast production outfit. So this process, this career switching, this transition, it's fresh for us. And I remember your process, it took you like months to work through the network you had built looking for something to challenge you. How did you rely on those relationships to find the next thing? You know, I would tell them, look, I've been thinking a lot about this particular sector. I've been learning about this space, would love to bounce ideas off of you. You know, the point is I wanted to have a conversation with them that wasn't about my career, um, but instead was about something that was going on in this world, something that would interest them. Um, And I had to deliver some, you know, reciprocal value, some insight of my own. Uh, and so I would do a fair amount of that as well. And again, it was just, you know, I wasn't going into these conversations looking for career advice or, you know, introductions or anything like that. I was just going in saying, I'm, I want to have an interesting conversation with this interesting person about this interesting topic. Uh, and that worked. So I had a unique way of tapping those relationships or creating new relationships as I was starting to think about changing the trajectory of my career. I went out to people and I said, hey, can I interview you for a story I'm working on about, you know, such and such podcast trend? Uh, I have been actually working on this book project behind the scenes for some time. I 
put a stop to it when I launched the company, but I have, you know, like 60,000 words that I'm slowly rolling out as articles. And I'm, you know, I'll, I'll adapt those over time when I want to turn them back into a book project. But I interviewed dozens and dozens of people many of whom had built very successful companies or who were highly successful producers. And I was able to tap their expertise and give them something in return by talking about what they were doing publicly. You know, I have an advantage in that I'm a writer and I've been a longtime journalist. And so it was very easy for me to do that. But that's another way that you can give someone something in return and have them give you a ton of insight. I think writing in general, if if you can do it, not everyone is suited to it, but writing in general is a really powerful tool for you to find your next thing or just enter this sector in the first place. You know, you can use it to test out ideas. You can use it to share with people how you work. Um, you know, we, we hired a bunch of people at GTM over the years um, for whom part of their their portfolio was writing that they had already done. They would have their own blog or they would have, you know, some other venue they would write in. And I always found that really valuable. And and I just think the, um, the process of writing is, uh, really clarifying. It helps you, or at least it helps me, uh, ensure that I, that I mean what I'm saying and that I, you know, find the gaps in my knowledge and things like that. So I also, in my, hiatus, uh, spent some time writing and actually <laughs> created a personal newsletter um, that was really fun to write that I ended up writing four issues of before I started at EIP and then lost sight of time. <laughs> well, writing is certainly a special kind of skill. And so is networking. You just got to practice. And that's why I was interested in Astrid Atkinson, a listener of ours who left her job managing infrastructure at Google to start an energy software company. Astrid loved her job. She was doing extremely important work, making sure Google was constantly at the highest reliability levels. But like Nicole from the beginning of the show, she found a calling in climate change. Basically, I was sort of looking at the worsening climate news and was like, okay, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a software engineer. What can I do to help? So Astrid is really successful. She probably could have stayed at Google in some very important position for a long time. But similar to both of us, and I'm sure many people listening, she was searching for new problems to solve. And starting your career over in a new space, that takes a ton of groundwork, no matter how successful you are. For Astrid, it was years of networking before she ever felt comfortable thinking about setting off on her own. Um, I basically started telling everybody I met that I was interested in energy tech. Usually when I have that conversation with people, they're like, oh, my cousin works at the at a regulatory authority or like, I know a guy who, from my school who has sold a clean tech company. So for like the last three or four years, um, I've told everyone I know that I want to work in this space. And then I have gone and met with the people that they know, their cousin, the guy from their school, whatever, and talked to them about the space. So you took the meet-with-anyone-and-everyone approach. Were people open to meeting with you? Absolutely. I, I think that overall, um, the clean tech community has been incredibly welcoming. And probably somewhere around 60 to 70% of people that I reached out to were willing to go as far as to like put aside time to go get coffee and talk about the space. People have been really generous with their time and actually really welcoming. It's been nice. And how does that compare to other forms of tech in Silicon Valley in, in terms of people's willingness to meet with you? <laughs> um, you know, like my experience with tech is somewhat colored by the fact that I've been at Google for almost 15 years. 
in general, um, folks inside Google are also pretty nice, right? Like they're also pretty nice and pretty welcoming. But I think that is not always true of the broader tech industry, especially once you look at the startup space. Uh, Cultures vary from company to company as well. Certainly in the broader tech industry, I would not expect if I reached out to somebody who was very busy that they would get back to me and like put aside time for lunch without ever having met me and without any recommendation, um, which I've definitely seen people in the clean tech space be willing to do. Yeah, that's that's definitely my experience as well. I think this is a, a big community of well-intentioned, really intelligent people who are interested in exploring ideas and, you know, debating issues and are, are happy to do it with people they know and people they don't know. Yeah, and that's why I, I found Astrid's story so important as a reflection of what we've been talking about. It, it sounds so basic to tell people to network. It's very cliche. But people in this field in particular are so incredibly passionate about spreading it. They're probably more willing to talk than in other areas. So yeah, I think one of the great things about this sector is that it's easy to have that first conversation. It's not it's not hard to find your way into um, into a discussion. I think a lot of people probably, especially coming from outside the sector, their worry would be, you know, are they um, informed enough? Are they deep enough in the knowledge of the sector to to come off well when they have those conversations? Definitely. I felt this too. I mean, at plenty of places in my career, it was, you know, I was talking to people who were way smarter than me. And I was wondering, like, am I worthy of even having a conversation with this person? And that's where it helps to be confident in the path you want to take, which again comes from just doing a lot of reading and coming up with a personal thesis and talking to people. And two, embracing your unique perspective or experience. So I talked with another guy a battery engineer who's much earlier in his career. His name is Mark Hughes, and he's one of the lucky few who had a pretty good idea of what he wanted to do. So I've kind of been a science nerd ever since I was a little kid. Um, I actually used to bring around a little science encyclopedia with whenever I would go shopping with my mom so that I wouldn't be too bored. So was there this, this moment when you figured out that energy was your thing? This is actually kind of funny. The, the first time I actually got interested in batteries and electricity in general there was a um, superhero um, cartoon that I used to watch when I was younger called Static Shock. Um, and that was a big a moment for me because, first of all, electricity as a concept was like super interesting to me. And I loved watching like a superhero like that. He was also the first black superhero that I had ever watched. And identifying as a black man, that was a really big thing for me. So that kind of marriage of like the, the social aspect of seeing seeing that on TV with this like sort of budding interest in science and technology that I had had was really the first time I really thought, like, okay, electricity is kind of the way to go. And away he went. Mark graduated in 2016 with a degree in chemical and biomolecular engineering. And right out of school, he got a job with General Motors, tearing apart and testing the cells for batteries used in the Chevy Bolt. Today, he works for a battery startup in the Bay Area called Scylla Nanotechnologies. So Mark is living the dream, right? He's got an awesome job that he's basically been dreaming about since he was a kid. He's completely qualified. But that feeling we were describing earlier, wondering if you fit in or if you're adequate, that can be way more acute for women or minorities who are entering an industry that looks still pretty white and male. 
Yeah, absolutely. And this is something that I have experienced myself. Um, imposter syndrome is, is something that where um, you feel that you don't belong, that you feel like um, you don't actually, you haven't actually earned all the accolades that you've gotten. You haven't earned the position that you're in. And that is, is, is especially prevalent in women and minorities in um, especially like technology sort of industries. And so knowing that that sort of thing is common, I think for me, was a huge thing for me in, in trying and starting to overcome it. But really, I would say to, to the people who feel that way is, A, you're not alone. We, you know, this is something that is a, a common feeling for a lot of people. And B, your perspective is your strength. I mean, bringing something different to the table, like you knowing that you come from a different background from other people, knowing that you have a different ideas and different approaches and different perspectives to the sort of problems and the, the challenges that we're trying to solve in the technology industry and in any other sort of industry as well. Knowing that you having a different perspective is a strength and we won't be able to go as far if we don't. Um, incorporate as many different perspectives as possible. So feeling like you don't belong is a daunting thing, but also um, knowing that you bring a different perspective to the table, like that should be a, a sign for you that that is that you're where you're supposed to be, that you are supposed to be the one who's shaking up the industry. You're supposed to be the one who's bringing those sort of perspectives to the table because otherwise we'll run out of ideas, to be completely honest. Yeah, this is definitely a point worth dwelling on, um, especially because the data fully backs this up. There's a, a study recently from the Boston Consulting Group um, that came out last year looked at, looked at 1,700 companies and found that the ones that had diverse management teams, as they defined it, saw on average 19% higher revenues, all else held equal, which is just a huge difference. Yeah, and study after study shows this. More companies are recognizing it as a result. And it's not just racial or gender diversity. It's it's also diversity of experience in other sectors, too. A lot of companies are now playing around with different job descriptions to attract people outside of their traditional talent pools. And that bodes well for people who are trying to break into this industry who may not have experience directly in energy. And that's why I think Mark's advice is really inspiring for anyone now, I don't want to undersell how much harder it is for our non-white, non-male counterparts, but I do think it's advice that can apply to pretty much anyone. Find your unique perspective and use it as a unique advantage. So what would be your unique advantage? Hmm. Uh, I don't know. Editing our conversations to make me sound smarter than I am in real life. Oh, thank <laughs> God that you have that advantage. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, I think I've run out of advice to give. That's okay, because I'm going to bring in someone new to round out the show. Perfect. Can you hear me okay, Stephen? I can. Can you hear me? I can hear you. I think we're connected. That's Liz Dalton. She's the executive director of the Clean Energy Leadership Institute, known as CLI. It's an organization helping people build their networks and skills in this very diverse area. In fact, Mark Hughes, who we heard from before, is pretty intimately involved with the group. And Liz came to CLI about nine months ago. She had an early career in politics and then worked high-level jobs for nearly seven years at the Department of Energy. She's an expert on nuclear, electric grid security, and building critical energy infrastructure. And her job now is basically to think about career development all the time. So I thought it would be valuable to connect with Liz and bring all these themes together cohesively. 
I honestly don't think there is one most common pathway, and that's one of the you know, inherently awesome things about clean energy. It is going to take the brightest minds across multiple sectors, across multiple backgrounds. And, you know, if I had to describe a path, it is starting a conversation with people who are in the field, be it from a finance perspective, be it from a tech development standpoint, you really need to get in and talk with people to start figuring out where you fit into that. You just hit on like the central challenge that we face when covering this topic. People want a specific roadmap to follow to get into the industry. But what you're saying is that the things that are going to help you anywhere are going to help you in this very diverse field. Exactly. And I I laugh about this sometimes. People have this idea that clean tech is this magical box of mystery that you can't break into and that there is a path to entering. It's It's not Unlike other industries, to your point, some of this is like any job. You have to do your homework. You need to network. You need to clearly identify what specific skills, attributes, experiences you bring to the table, and then you have to advocate for yourself. Definitely. And so I've noticed this shift. One thing I have been struck by is a number of people from consumer tech who now want to get into clean tech just based on the number of conversations that I've had with people recently, I do feel like there's a shift underway. It feels like with a lot of the negative attention on leading consumer tech companies and what they're doing to us and society, and with the growth of companies like Tesla, where you know clean tech is a lot more visible, there are more people making the leap from consumer tech into this broad swath of clean tech. Do you see that happening? I would say certainly in the Bay Area, we have significant interest from folks coming out of Facebook, from Google, um, these big consumer tech companies that have an interest in getting their foot in the door. The real, you know, the real puzzle is how do you get these folks matched? And it's going to take aggressive recruiting from these companies. And if you've worked for years in consumer tech and have built up a career, just like any career transition, you may have to look at either a pay cut or a job title reduction. And it's about what, you know, what are you willing to do to get in? Because there are qualified people uh, in the industry. There's a demand for more, but some of that may have to be a personal adjustment. And it's something that you should really think about as you're looking to make the jump. It's not always the case. There are many opportunities where you can excel, but you're going to have to do the legwork and really articulate what skill and what background and what perspective you bring to the table. And on the company side, what are the startups and bigger companies need to do to recruit these folks, particularly if they can't match the scale or perks of a big consumer tech company, or they're not as well known? I think it's twofold. First, they have to actually reach out to these people. Um, There are aggressive recruiting practices in consumer tech, and it's something that the clean energy industry is going to have to start investing in. If you're not out talking to people, they don't know that you exist. So first and foremost, aggressive recruiting. The second thing is really subscribing to people's mission-driven interest and purpose in life. I think that being able to say to folks that coming to this company, uh, doing this thing will really leave the world in a better place is resonating, especially with young professionals who want to feel that what they're doing matters. It's not just about the paycheck. It's what what am I doing to make the world a better place? And I think that there is a huge opportunity for tech companies to bring that together. The other thing is there's really exciting stuff happening. And, you know, there's there's a lot of cool tech. There is a lot of cutting edge 
uh, research and deployment going on in this space. And I think it's more about opening the tent and communicating to folks what the opportunities are. And what about tapping a more diverse talent pool, whether it be different skills from outside energy, different economic backgrounds, different races? It's very clear that companies with a wider range of different types of people do better financially. Do you see progress in clean tech there? I often referred to the energy sector as the 65-year-old white man club, and then it looked a little bit like the 45-year-old white man club. And I can honestly say in the you know 10-ish years that I've been working in the sector, that's not the case anymore. Um, there's still a long way to go, but companies are being far more intentional about the way they approach diversity and inclusion to attract talent from, you know, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different, uh, ethnic backgrounds. They want more women in the workplace. And unfortunately, climate change tends to have uh, even greater adverse impacts on those communities that are often underrepresented. And it is going to require people from those communities being part of the solution set. And I think clean tech companies get that. If we are going to be serious about solving climate change, it cannot be traditional, um, as one of my loving colleagues calls it, male and pale folks walking into communities to say, here's your solution. They really need to be part of, of the answer. And I think clean tech companies get that. So back to the individuals, any final words of advice, things you see people doing wrong or right that stand out as they search for opportunity? You will drive yourself crazy if you think that there are a list of jobs that you can just apply for. You really need to go look into what aspects of the industry excite you, what motivates you, and then start narrowing your list of either companies or parts of the clean tech community that most interest you. And then again, I say go talk to those people. Uh, find opportunities to network with them. Certainly things like CLI create those opportunities. And then sometimes you just have to start applying. Liz Dalton is the executive director of the Clean Energy Leadership Institute known as CLI. Thank you so much. Thank you, Stephen. So Shale, when someone asks you for career advice, what are you going to tell people? I'm going to tell him to go talk to Liz Dalton and also I can, and also to listen to this podcast. And if I get any, I'm going to forward those requests to your email. Awesome. Can't wait. Well, that's what I need. More email. <laughs> Thank you to everyone who reached out to tell me their stories. A special thanks to Nicole, Astrid, Mark, and Liz. We are going to chuck a bunch of resources into our show notes and a post on LinkedIn. So use those for a place to start if you're still on the hunt. If this was a valuable episode for you, please help us out and spread the word on social media and give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Email this episode to someone in your life looking to grow their career in clean tech. And also, if you are looking for the best news to categorize the companies and organizations that are leading the charge in this space, go to greentechmedia.com slash newsletters and sign up for our daily and weekly newsletters. That is your go-to source, along with subscribing to this podcast. Thanks again, everyone. With Shail Khan, I'm Stephen Lacey. This is The Interchange, conversations on the future of energy from Green Tech Media. Green Tech Media.